This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. This is Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Innovative thoughts from baseball's best coaching minds from around the world. Brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, former USA Baseball National Team coach, Peter Caliendo. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're at in the U.S. around the world. Welcome to Baseball Outside the Box. I'm Pete Caliendo, your host. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it, folks. We are so excited. We're on over 100 countries where coaches, players, and parents listen to our show. Thank you to everybody around the world for what you do, for listening, and for spreading the great word of our show. Also, special thanks to ESPN Honolulu. Thanks, folks, for joining us. We love having you listening to the show. And remember, anytime you have a recommendation for a guest, please email me at caliendo19gmail.com. Lastly, don't forget, go to baseballoutsidethebox.com. That's where the audio is going to be, right? And then subscribe. Always get those show updates. It's great to have because then you know every time there's a new show up and check it out. What's great about podcasts, you don't have to listen to the whole thing, right? You can listen to 30 minutes cutting your grass, walking your dog, you know, come back, check it again. Don't forget, go to uh, Pete Caliendo live on Facebook right now. And we're also live on YouTube. If you have any questions there, uh, just, you know, put them in the comments section and we will try to answer those questions for you. Let me tell you about our guest. We're going down under. Yes, Australia. And you know, I have a love for Australian baseball. Why? Because there's only a few countries that are really, really at the top when it comes to coaching development. And it's more about just coaching development, but specifically coaching development. You know, they have had certification programs for a long time, not just in baseball, but other sports. The success has been statistically proven when you look at the Olympics, how well they do in the Olympics. Um, it's incredible how well they do in baseball. Look at the major league players they produce, the college players. Um, so I am thrilled to bring you today. Uh, special guest. He is the manager of the Perth Heat, the ABL manager. And listen, this is a professional league in uh, Australia, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Also, the 18U national team manager for Team Australia and the baseball West Australia high performance coach. Let's not waste any time. Andrew Kyle. Kyle, thanks for joining us late evening in Perth. Sure is. Thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure, man. I know you just got done. Um, matter of fact, I'm looking at Facebook. Thanks, everybody. You just got done with a game. So I tell you what, great thing to do. Let's talk about uh, that game a little bit. Talk about the league, the ABL. Just, we'll just start with that because I know you just finished. Give the folks a little bit of background of the Perth team and also the ABL. Yeah, uh, today's game was uh, with my high-performance program. We haven't quite got underway in the ABL yet. Um, so just kind of rounding out our high performance program over the winter. So we've been going for about 18 weeks now and uh, just getting in some games for them to, to round out that program. And then uh, the, the kids will go into their state league and their local clubs for the summer. So just preparing them for that. Um, and when that happens, I'll be starting rolling out the uh, ABL guys and getting them ready for hopefully an exciting summer ahead. All right. You know what? I'll get to the ABL. Appreciate letting me know that. That was my fault, folks. Um, you know, what's interesting, Kyle, I just had Jim Small on, um, the vice president of MLB for international baseball around the world. We were talking about, you know, development in different countries and what's unique about Australia. And since I want to stay with the high performance, because, you know, it's so important that 
the grassroots level, we, you know, we need to produce good coaches, good programs at the really grassroots level. So we keep the kids going. And then you got to have what you call your high performance, what you're talking about. Talk about in general, you can talk about Perth and Australia, you know, the grassroots level and now your high performance, especially what that is. Yeah, so we are across the country, each each city has their own high performance program ranging from, you know, probably 20 to 30 athletes in those programs. So we pick them out of the grassroots level. I have about 30 kids in my program that, that range from 15 to 90, 19 years old. Um, the idea of that program is to get them ready, build their tools and um, hopefully move them onto either professional contracts to college in the States or uh, potentially in the ABL level or, or thereabouts and um, national teams. Yeah, and you know what? When you're talking about those high-performance players, um, it's interesting because these are players that are specifically selected according to their talents, their knowledge, possibly of the game. Um, now they come together. And you mentioned, the, I believe, 18 weeks or how many weeks you're with them. Uh, are they in one location or do they go back home? Are they come back and forth? Yeah, so we have them in the one location, but we're um, in Perth. We're very fortunate, you know, nothing's too far away. Um, we're only the maximum distance is probably 30, 45 minutes from the field. So we get them all in the one place. We train at the same facility that we play in the ABL team we're, uh, there with. Um, we work out three times a week. Um, we're, we're luckily we just got a gymnasium built there, uh, strength and conditioning facility, so the kids can work out the field now as well, which which we really value and uh, are seeing a massive improvement in their movement and strength um, data. And then um, yeah, so each city has their own kind of variation of that program, um, and then. Normally, um, without COVID, we get together and have a national youth tournament. So all the best under 16 and under 18 kids come together and play in a, a showcase tournament um, across the country. Um, and that's a really uh, important phase of their development to compete against the best kids. Um, and from that tournament, we get kids signed professionally. You know, college recruiters are there and um, we pick our national team kind of program out of that as well um recently the last 18 months obviously COVID, we've had to change that a little bit so now each state runs their own showcase high performance kind of tournament themselves um but we haven't been able to do the national youth cha championships because of our COVID restrictions and moving between states but we did however get our under 19 national team camp together in uh easter in canberra which was awesome we're the top 60 kids at that camp and we picked we picked our national selection out of that you know andrew talk about it's interesting talk about uh you know how you come about picking these players and some of the protocols that you're looking for, some of the, you know, things that they do well, how you evaluate them, what kind of, you know, tests you might be doing um, at the events. And then you finally pick those uh, 30 players. Yeah. So at the showcase this year, each state will kind of run their own a similar program um, based around showcasing their tools. So looking at their arm strength, test their arm strength. We got their running speed, 60 yard, 20 meters over here through light gates. So trying to get real time data and, and not just kind of guesswork on the stopwatch, but trying to improve our technology on that side of things. Um, each of our high performance programs now have Rapsodo units. So we have a pitching and hitting unit. So throughout that showcase, we collect data on the individuals, um, get video content, and then we play games and try and profile each kid into a folder um, and then try and tier them. And, you know, each state kind of tiers the top 15 kids and then we uh, all get together and communicate and then uh, pick the squad from that. 
Yeah, what's it look like? Who's getting together, um, you know, as a group, uh, coaches? Um, also, interesting enough, who is, you know, when you're looking at, you know, I know this happened many times here in the U.S. with our national teams, also with independent ball when I was putting clubs together. There's going to be times where, you know, um, depending on the number of players you have, obviously, that you're going to have to make some decisions and some players make it, some don't, but man, they're really close. Talk about some of those intangibles, you know, that, you know, you know, maybe it's not the skills only, but it's something else that you guys finally come down to and you make that choice because that helps coaches all over the world. Absolutely. And I, I think that you, you can't forget those intangibles, um, you know, the baseball IQ, how hard they play, they're good teammates, all those things come, uh, come into um, selection processes. We have to uh, rely heavily on our high performance coaches in each state to have a good idea of their individuals within their each state. And we're very fortunate over here, um, the high performance coordinators will get along really well and we communicate, communicate quite often. Um, and we also use video to kind of compare those individuals too. But that's kind of why we tried to say for the 19s this year, we got the 60 best kids uh, across the board. So, you know, we, we don't believe we, meet, we missed too many of those kids um, around the country that should have been there. And then we, um, we kind of hammered it out for, for 10 days, played a bunch of games and, and continued to profile data. Um, as you know, at, at that age group, a lot can change in three or four to six months as well. Yes. So that's that's one thing we're really wary of is um, some of the growth of some of these kids over three months can just jump through the roof. So that's one thing we are mindful too of as well, that um, we don't miss kids that potentially, you know, just because they're at one stage in January, three months later or six months later, that, you know, they made, made a, a massive jump and, and worked really hard. Hey, you know, what, what are some of those tools because um, you're trying to get these kids to college, you know, uh, possibly something high school, maybe in the States, but college, like you said, professional baseball. What are some of those tools that, you know, are important for that next level? Um, again, we have other countries around the world who are looking to get their players signed to high school, college, professionally. Also, what do you think some of those next level tools might be? Yeah, look, uh, I guess the, the general tools that we look at are, you know, the arm strength of the individuals, whether that be a pitcher or, or position specific. Um, obviously, their run tool for position players, how fast they are over, you know, 90 feet and 60 yards. You know, 90 feet to 20 metres is a big one for me. Um, I know we still scale them as, as a scouting unit over 60 yards, but their ability to get up the line quickly. Um, and then, you know, the ability to drive the ball. Um, so by the power, raw power, so how hard and far they can hit the ball and, and with some bat speed or the ability to hit and, and have good barrel accuracy and, and good swing. Um, you know, and then obviously pitch, pitch ability on the mound, sorry to jump in. Obviously, no, no, go, go, Velo, we obviously know Velo plays at that high level um, and also pitch ability. Can they attack the zone? Do they have good feel up there? Do they have good mound presence? Um, especially when we're talking about tournament baseball, those things come into play, not just how hard they throw. So um, that's really important as well. And, you know, I guess compared to some of the bigger countries across the world, um, we're a little bit underdeveloped or late developing country as far as arm strength. Um, so that's one thing we're trying to change a little bit with our programming and, and getting more volume into these kids' arms and getting them a little bit stronger and healthier over time um, to be able to compete and, and stay healthy and stay on the field. You know, folks, just so you know, we're with Andrew Kyle, the Perth Heat 
manager in the ABL, the Australian Baseball League, also the 18U national team coach. Um, you know, and it's interesting. I, I want to. I guess I'm going to stay with this a little bit. First of all, folks, if you didn't know, and I'm 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 going to get I'm going to. It's an educated guess from everything I've heard, and Andrew will correct me. But we're only talking about a country that may have what 40 million people in the country, roughly. Yeah. Yeah, right? that's, and, look, right. yep. and, and folks, let's just take a look at the competition, okay? When they're competing at all the international events, the WBSC events, that's all the national teams. They're always at the top with all the top clubs. And they don't have the population that some of the countries like the U.S. have or the Dominican Republic or even Japan and some of the big countries. And, and that's why I love and I love all those countries. I love all countries because we love to do all kinds of stuff around the world. Andrew, but, you know, I look at Cuba, you know, they only have 60,000 players. We think they got a lot. There's only 60,000. We look at, you know, Canada, very similar to Australia, right? You guys are doing some great things. So I'm going to get to some of the things that I, I'm going to ask you about some special things you guys might be doing. But before we get to that, I want to stick with the, with this process of the development, because now you've got this, the players that, are pretty good, you know, they throw hard, they hit well, they do all these things that you're looking for. I know you've seen them in competition. What do you do when you've got that talented player that really throws hard or hits the ball really hard, but he can't compete yet? What are some of the things that you you, you start to work with them on and would you keep them behind a little bit or does he stay in the program? How does that work? Yeah, look, I, I think if they have the tools to play at the next level, you've got to try and keep them around as long as you can um, and, and stay invested with them. And, you know, their timeline, it, it just might be a little bit different from the next kid who's a little bit more developed at, a, at an earlier age and able to compete um, at an earlier age. So I think that's one thing that we're trying to change a little bit over here is is those opportunities for those 18 to 20 year olds and whether we whether we try and get them to college because they need to be in a program more full time and, and play more competitive baseball to get the, the context or just keeping them around our high performance programs. And for me, it's keeping them engaged with the ABL team, you know. So, you know, I'll keep kids that are in my program, the higher end kids that are still a, are still at a really high ability involved with our with our ABL team. So they're continually to get the upskill and the knowledge and, and be around better players, which hopefully we'll try with them as well. You know, the other part of this um, is also, uh, as I think about this, is making sure that, you know, the players have the right coaches. Now, here, here's the important thing I'm thinking about. When you have the United States right now, you know, we've come up with a lot of different technology, a lot of different even teaching methods. And we're not the only ones, the Dutch, the Australians, a lot of people are coming up with different teaching methods. Some, yes, are kind of rehashing some old ones and, and, and kind of keeping them in, you know, making a different name out of it. And then and saying, okay, this is something new. Well, you know, the coaches that have been around understand that that's been around for a while, but there are a lot of new things happening. Um, it'd be interesting to find out Two things, some of the things that you've learned from other countries, but also some of the things that you guys have developed that's helping your athletes. And it can be in any area of the development of the game. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I guess for us, and you know, I'm going back to John Deeble, who used to be the Olympic and the national team coach. Yeah. He, um, he, he kind of said, 
Yeah, you know, he, he kind of said to us um, a few years ago, we need to become a hybrid, um, you know, a cross between the Japans and the Cubans and the Americans. We need to come up with our own kind of style of play because, you know, we know one-on-one -on -one we can't match it with the US. The Japanese have just got, you know, so many players and they're so disciplined and, you know, that's not necessarily us because of our culture, you know, we're a little bit go get them and, you yeah. know, get after and compete and we got to, we got to go battle because, you know, history says we don't have the top tier the athletes who can just get on there and blow guys away and, and, and do all that sort of thing. So we have to get creative in that environment and, and come up with our own kind of style of play. Um, I think technology has helped us a lot. You know, um, we have a lot more access to resources, information, um, people in the States or, or in other countries and, and getting more more um, upskilled in our information and resources. So, you know, I know Crooksy and, and Baseball Australia are really trying to invest in some of the technology around the place, which we're trying to start implementing, you know, um, and we're starting to get a grasp on that. That's... It can have its own challenges as well because, as we know, there's no sense just having, you know, all the all the technology and data out there if you don't know how to use it appro appropriately. So um, I know myself and the high-performance pro um, programs across the country are trying to currently upskill ourselves and, and try and better know how to use that technology to assist with our players. But um, I think one thing doesn't change, and that's the game itself, you know what I mean? Um, the ability to attack hitters and catch the ball cleanly and play the game the right way and, and run the base as well and win those, win those small small battles um, is always going to allow you to compete and be successful. So um, I think that's what we need to do really well too. Hey, speaking about that, uh, let's get to the fundamentals because, you know, um, you know, I, I'm not right all the time. I'm wrong a lot of times, and I love to be corrected. Um, but, man, I watch Major League Baseball, and I watch a lot of different leagues around the world and get a chance to see it. You know, my, one of my concerns, I want to see how you guys are approaching this, is sometimes we're, we tend to get away from the fundamentals. Um, you know, it depends on the system, obviously. Some areas need to play more games. I get it. Uh, but I know here in the U.S., we tend to play a lot more games now, especially in the cold weather areas, and we're not training as much. And that's a big concern of mine, keeping the fundamentals. How important is that to you guys, not only in Australia in general, but also at the national team and high performance level? Yeah, it's huge. And uh, I'm glad you kind of brought that up because a few years ago in Australia, everyone was saying, we don't play enough games. We need to play, the kids need to play more games. We don't play enough and this and that. And we kind of came to the conclusion we are actually playing more games. What we lack over here is playing competitive games because we just don't have the number of athletes playing and the higher caliber. So a lot of our kids don't get the context of playing consistent, um, tough baseball, I suppose. Um, but so we've, um, you know, I, I know our high performance programs and myself, um, we're spending more time in blocks, really uh, kind of focusing on that area and, and building arm strength, getting clean with our mechanics, spending time on the mound, doing drill progressions. Um, you know, for the first 10 weeks of my winter program, we kind of break things right down to, you know, really small group work, fundamental drills, you know, getting our foot, footwork clean, a lot of swing progression stuff in the cages and, you know, doing some overload, underload work to, to increase bat speed and trying to get that fundamental base ready to go. And then we kind of then um, 
up the ante a little bit with our training um, through the middle of the year and start to go to more overspeed and, and game-like situational um, practice where we, we, we make it more difficult. Um, and then this latter third where we're in at the moment is more about you know, team defences, approaches, the mental side of the game and preparing for more in-game stuff as they approach their season. So we're kind of breaking down our... Um, you know, our packages a little bit more in detail now. And I think that's really important. And I know our kids have, um, you know, have really improved this winter th through that. You know, I really like that. I'll tell you what, we're going to take a quick break here and not, not a break from the show, but a break from what we're talking about. And I'm going to take a question from Facebook, a uh, great friend and also a great listener to the show, professional coach in Arizona, also has his own academy. This guy should be coaching somewhere around the world. Um, Bill Sandillo, uh, you know, it, this goes away from this topic, but Bill was asking about the, uh, and I believe the, the ABL, because he says the league, uh, the ABL, um, it plays in December. Is that because of, op that's the warmest time? Yeah, correct. So uh, I guess a couple of reasons why that's, that's our summer over here. Um, so it matches in well with other sports. And secondly, uh, it's the winter in the, in the U.S., um, and other parts of the world. So the last few years, we've had a lot of pro guys come out from, um, you know, major league clubs and, and guys that have potentially been injured or, or trying to make their way back into professional baseball and then come out here for their winter ball and, and get to compete in the league. And, you know, um, that, that timing seems to work really well. Andrew, you know, back to the, what we were talking about also, um, you know, what do you think separates, you know, help our countries, because I think that, you know, as Jim Small was talking about, you know, we're talking about big countries and I say big, not just uh, number of players, but also high level where you're competing at high levels um, to help other countries that don't have the numbers, but also aren't yet at that level. What separates you think some, a country like Australia um, with not that many players, uh, what separates them from everybody else that makes them better? What are some of the things you guys do that you think you do really well that other countries maybe can, you know, start focusing on more? Yeah, I think um, over the past 10 years, we're collectively as a unit where we seem to be communicating and, and all on the, on the same direction and plan. Mm -hmm. um, you know, from the ABL level um, through to our high performance programs, we're trying to format it all in the same direction. Um, we're not trying to fight each other and compete against each other. So I think that's one really important thing, even though each state is separate and different. Sure. Um, we're very passionate about a national team and evolving the game and, and getting better. And, you know, I, I think as a collective unit, we just want to see our kids go on to, to the next level and try and try and play in the big leagues, but also trying to create an environment where we're successful as a national team. And, and we find that, um, you know, really important to us. Um, and then I think just um, just the resources and, and trying to communicate and everyone getting on the same page as how we're trying to develop our kids. Um, I think that's been a, a big mold forward. Um, we've got some, you know, I know you've said we're successful. We've still got a lot of work to do in that space as far as especially coaches and opportunity for, I think, professional development in coaching. Mm -hmm. uh, it's become easier with technology and, um, you know, you have a lot more access to video content, YouTube and all that sort of thing and Twitter, which I use a lot myself. But 
um, you can also get lost in that content and, and not know how to deliver it appropriately. So just trying to engage more coaches in that space um, and trying to help. I think the biggest thing we struggle is kind of that little league um, through kind of charter space from, you know, 12 to 12 to 15. I think across the country, we're still trying to find um, areas where we can best develop our kids in that area. Um, and because we just get a little bit disjointed at times. But I think collectively we're starting to get a better foundation um, and pathway unit. Um, yeah. You know, and that's that you bring up that age. That's not an easy age, um, but, you know, because we know that at a certain age, you know, I know at least in the U.S., but it's pretty statistically worldwide um, where kids start to drop out of the sport. Now, I, I probably you know, brought this up on the show so much, people are getting tired of me, you know, listening to it. But, you know, I'm not a strict believer that they change because of, you know, videos or other things they want to do. I get that. There's other distractions. But you and I, baseball people, everybody else listening, baseball people, if you love baseball as a kid, you're having fun, you're successful, I'm not sure you're going to quit. Um, so my point to this is why kids are quitting, you I want to find out from you what's your competition in that in other sports and why do you think sometimes kids quit you know is it possibly even coaches maybe doing some of the things old-fashioned is that a reason yeah absolutely um I guess to your first point uh especially in Perth we have um AFL football is is really big it's one of the biggest sports in Australia and especially in Perth um, we have a lot of kids that play baseball and football and, and through it, that high school age is really where they start to make that decision and going either way. Um, and then we have cricket over the summer, which competes yeah. with baseball. Um, and there's a fair bit of money in cricket. We've got the Big Bash League going on, which is really popular. Kids are really enjoying watching that on TV. You know, they're getting paid. They're going to India. And our Australian cricket team's really successful and has been for many years. Um, we have that cross battle between codes, I, I, I guess. And, um, you know, we're myself and a lot of the coaches are big believers in the kids playing both sports for as long as they can. Um, yeah. But then obviously... For us, because we are probably, you know, a little bit undeveloped compared to some of the big powerhouses across the world, we need to get these kids a little bit earlier into the into the high performance programming um, to give them time to mature and really kind of go through those fundamentals and upskill them in, in what they need to do to to get better. So uh, probably come a combination of that. Um, as you said, I think coaching's tough. You know, you have a lot of dads coaching um, in Australia. Go ahead. So just in Australia, go ahead. In Australia, obviously, it's not a national sport, so a lot of dads don't grow up on baseball. You know, right. they grow up on footy, going to the park and kicking the kicking the ball around, and they watch it on TV. In Australia, you don't watch baseball on TV unless you're a, a baseball fan, like obviously us. So, you know, they they get into the sport because their kids are playing, or they play t-ball, and they continue on with it. So, trying to provide those coaches and um, just your local clubs with the right resources and, and mm. kind of trying to go in the direction that we want them to go in is, is, is huge. Um, and, you know, we've still got a way to go with that. And Andrew, I mean, in Australia, you just can't show up, sign a piece of paper um, and coach. It's not that simple. No, you know, um, 
in all in all codes and all sports over here, um, you know, you've got to go to do accreditation or go to the, you know, go to a certain amount of sessions for a lot of stuff. Um, I did AFL with my with my son's teams, and even to just umpire a under tens football game, you have to go to a course and attend three sessions and be qualified to to go and do that. So, you know, I, I think the commitment sometimes puts puts a lot of coaches off as well. Sure, but at the same time, if you do get those committed coaches that are certified, they're learn constantly learning. Not saying that coaches don't want to learn, but I think they have to be held accountable a little bit on some of the things they do, how they run a practice. Um, you know, it's, if, if nobody's watching, eh, things aren't going well, well, that's when kids start to say, why should I play this sport? I can go play cricket, soccer, uh, other sports that maybe have more action. Uh, so my, my question is this, and you can address the coaching also with it. But my question is, you know, you got to get these kids to play the game too, right? And it's not easy because if you show them at the very young levels, when I'm talking about right before they start even knowing what the game's about, if you show them the regular game, it doesn't look like a lot of fun because you're standing around a lot. How do you, what do you guys do in Australia or in Perth to get these kids attracted to the game? Yeah, hundred percent. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Baseball is a really complex sport and it's not an easy sport. And, you know, you, you go from T-ball to hit a ball off a tee and your feet go all over the place. And, and then suddenly you go down to your local baseball club and, you know, guys are throwing at you. You, you get a bit of, bit of fear factor in there and guys have to start pitching and throwing across a diamond and you've got a massive range of ability levels. So I think that is one of the hardest um, things that we have to try and address and, and try and, find some different ways. Um, I think one thing is trying to engage them more. You know, um, I think the old school, not old school, but a lot of coaches um, aren't upskilled enough to have a run of practice and engage, you know, 15 kids moving around, touching the ball, you know. Um, as you said, just standing around and waiting for a ball to come to them and getting maybe one fielding ball every 15 hits, um, it's just not going to be enjoyable for them. So trying to break the break the practice down into smaller groups, um, trying to get people to just roll balls out and, and flip balls and even using different resources, you know. Um, I've spoken to quite a few coaches recently about just, you know what, if you can't hit a phone, go bring a tennis racket and a tennis and a and tennis balls down to practice, mm-hmm. um, you know, hit tennis balls to them in the field and, and things like that. Try and get a little bit more um, outside the box um, with how you do things, especially if you don't have um, the expertise yourself, trying to find different ways of making it enjoyable, making it a more little modified games, you know, like hit the ball, have someone run, or you're going to touch the ball a few more times before um, they get to second base or just trying to, trying to change the game up and, and make it a little bit more engaging for them. I think, um, I think we get caught in a lot of activities that stop people from um, touching the ball and playing more. It's like, all right, if you make an area out, well, I probably made an error because I'm the worst player on the team and now I'm going to sit out for right. two more rounds. So how am I going to get better? You know what I mean? So some of those sort of things, just trying to, I guess, educate people in, in better ways to to run a practice, I think that's it's huge. 
Yeah, you know, for young kids, you've got the physical part, you got the mental part. I'm going to get to the mental in a second because I know it's important to you. Uh, the physical part, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of training around the world. And like you said, there's more technology. There's a lot of more learning going on because it's more accessible through the technology. And even though I walk around even in my neighborhood, and this is something that's common around the world, and you would think we'd we have learned from this, but it continues in some areas. You know, the baseball, when you first start, I know it sounds basic, but it's hard, okay? This thing is not soft. You get hit by this, it's not fun. And if it's not fun, I'm gonna find something else to do. I don't blame them. You know, but yet I walk around even our, some of our areas in our town and I see eight-year-olds using this ball and the coach is hitting them and the kids are so scared, they can't do it, they can't even field it. And then all they do is tell them to field it and they'll stay in front of it. And I'm thinking, well, it's easy for you to say to stay in front of it, but you're not the one feeling the ball, right? I mean, Andrew, so I know it's basic, but talk about, you know, yeah. this is important. How do you, you got to eliminate fear before you can even get to the mental part. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the, old, the old side, oh, get the, get the body in front of it. Well, no one wants to get the body in front of it and take a baseball to the body. It's it's scary and it hurts. So, yeah, absolutely. Is um, You know, one thing my dad taught me when I was young is learn how to take a pitch. I think that was it's really valuable in, in learning to roll and protect yourself. So whether that's kind of just underarming it at him and getting him used to the right techniques or using tennis balls or wiffle balls and kind of throwing it at him and, and teach them to roll, but just breaking down the skill set and um, in defensively, like I said, just progressing with tennis balls till they get the right fundamentals right, and then you know rolling balls out to them, and then short fun goes before they start to feel comfortable and in hitting the ball a little bit harder. Um, I think that's very valuable too. And, and you know the same thing goes with um, probably the most critical part. Um, because as we all know, throwing and fielding and catching are so critical. If we're not good at that, and you mentioned the Japanese, that's why they're so good because they can feel, catch, and throw with the best of them. Um, you know, uh, this is coming at me. Uh, I'm not going to stand in front of it if I don't have the right technique. How do I develop that technique? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. And um, I think trying to trying to isolate certain parts of the body so you know one thing we do with our fielding and things like that is is isolating the lower half or the upper body and 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 trying to really clean up the catch first um it's one thing we do with our fielders is is teaching the catch the ball cleanly you know what i mean have good presentation with the hands the catch is one of the most important parts of it and that sets up everything else as well so if you can learn to catch the ball cleanly first um then you can progress with the other things but again just you know, catch the ball with a tennis ball or, or barehanded first and really get that skill set of taking care of the ball rather than, you know, the ball taking care of you uh, is a really important first step. And then just progressing with the drill work. So being stationary, being clean, um, slow everything down first. You know, mm. I see a lot of development, everything's going 100 miles an hour and, and nothing's matching up. So especially with our fielding, we want to make sure we can isolate certain areas, slow everything down, and then we can quicken it up from there. Um, so makes, that's one thing that we do. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And you even talk about promoting, you know, athletes self-evaluation. Um, talk about that, you know, how they self-evaluate themselves. Maybe coaches are talking too much. Uh, they should be doing something a little bit differently. Yeah, I think it's one thing I learned from um, Penny. You know, I started coaching fairly young with my dad and 
as a beginning coach, you feel like you have to say something all the time because to to feel like you know what you're talking about, you know what I mean? Um, and, you know, it wasn't until later on I developed more of a skill set of sometimes just not saying anything. And, you know, I speak to my my coaching staff and, you know, we promote sometimes as barely, barely talking to the athletes during training about anything technical, um, getting them to start evaluating themselves of what they do, you know. Um, you know, we talk about the baseball not lying and, and the, the ball will always give you feedback. So see what the ball's doing off the bat, you know, um, is a big one. Is it topspin? Is it hooking? Is it slicing? and try and use that as information in, in what your swing looks like. So just try to get them to self-evaluate, be their own coaches um, and, and not rely on someone there all the time telling them what to do because we know as they develop their careers, um, they need to make the decisions themselves and, and they might get some coaches who, you know, might give them wrong information at times or not or information that's not rele- relevant to them. Um, it doesn't work for them. Uh, coaching is very difficult and every every athlete um, is an individual and just because one word or one key works for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone. So getting the kids to understand what their body's doing, what they're trying to achieve, um, you know, I, myself in my program, I think that's very valuable in getting them to self-assess and, and try and be their own coaches a bit more. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you said uh... – you know, coaching is very difficult and there's no doubt about it. That's why we need the coaching certification, coaching education programs that continue at all levels and the accountability for the coaches, you know, and one of the toughest things for coaches, even myself, and this is when we play too, right, is, and this can be a whole show. And I know we've had a lot of shows on this, but I'd love to get your take on it. Um, You know, whether they like it or not, or we like it or not, it's a game of failure. You're going to fail. More times than none. We've all heard it many times, right? Uh, it's the game where you fail the most, and then you got to learn to deal with it. Well, you can't just say deal with it. What's some of the things, unique things, maybe you guys do in Australia that helps a kid understand how to deal with that failure, whether it's getting hit by a ball, whether it's striking out, whatever it may be? Yeah, I think one thing is is having the conversation with your athlete, um, whether that be as a group or trying to individually have those conversations and and openly talk about failure. I think it's something that we try and, you know, go around um, and we don't deal with it straight up. So just having a discussion and, and getting, you know, kids or your athletes to say, I, I don't like it or I'm struggling with it or or those sort of things. Um, once you kind of initialize that conversation, you take ownership of, of, of how you handle it. I think that's a really, really good first step. Um, I try and give our kids permission to fail. So, you know what I mean? It's that I, I don't want you to be scared to strike out. I give you permission to strike out at times. Yeah, we know strikeouts are great because we're not putting the ball in play, um, but certain times they're not bad either. Um, but if you're so scared to strike out, you're setting yourself up for failure already because you're going to chase bad pitches early in the count and you're worried about striking out, so you start cheating and you've got more chances of striking out. So just the mental side of, of how you approach your at-bats or the game or worried about walking or throwing a ball and things like that. So um, one big thing we talk about is just staying in the moment and staying present um, and competing one pitch at a time. So... I think the biggest thing we spoke about lately, and I had a conversation with with some of our hitters um, recently, was about dealing with the controllables in the game, and you know, had a conversation with them about how much in this game you actually don't have control of, 
Um, so I think that's really important for them to understand and be aware of is we can't control what the umpire does. We can't control how our team makes acts or, or what the opposition is or how they pitch to us. All we can do is control, um, you know, the event of what we're doing right now and how we respond to that event. And um, hopefully, you know, we work hard on, on developing good processes and then the game will take care of itself and, and what happens after that will, you know, we deal with then too. Hey, folks, uh, before we started the show, first of all, if you're on Facebook, you have any questions, type them in the comments section. Any question you like about the game development, um, especially, you know, questions for Andrew. Before we started, I said, Andrew, I apologize if I call you Kyle, um, you know, first, because he's had that many times. So I already apologized ahead of time if I made that mistake. Um, but, Andrew, listen, uh, we got a few minutes left. This has been fantastic. And, and again, being late at night, I really appreciate your time. And our folks listening to you, I know, are very appreciative. Uh, you know, the other part of this is the in-game stuff, right, for coaches, because you got the practices. Those are so critical um, if you run them right and everything goes well, as well as you can. Maybe that'll transfer into games. Well, not everything's going to transfer so now you're going to have some issues in games. What are some of the key areas for coaches to understand how to deal during games? You know, you've got players that might come to you all the time asking you what I did wrong, or there's a situation on the field, right? Something just happened. Uh, they missed a cutoff or whatever it may be. Now, how do you, how do you deal with those situations? How do you, what do you train your coaches to do? Yeah, we, we try and avoid um, saying too much during games. Um, we try and leave that for, for on the training track. We'll, you know, the coaches will write down some things that happen in the game that we need to address, and then we'll try and discuss at a later time. Um, during the game, guys are stressed, guys are competing. They're not trying to stuff up. You know, I think that's a big thing that we need to be aware of as coach. We're not, you know, generally we're not trying to trying to make an error or, or stuff things up. So we need to be aware of that first of all. Um, Sometimes if the, if the timing's right, we can have a discussion with them, you know, on the side, maybe an inning later or two innings later. Athletes get fired up and they're, they're quite often pissed off because they've done something wrong. So, you know, I speak to the coach about don't address it straight away, especially, you know, right. if you can read body language and, you know, they've just come off the fielding fielding play and something's gone wrong or a pitcher's had a bad outing and, and things haven't gone their way is don't try and bring something up straight away with them, you know, let them cool off, try and grab them later in the game. Or, or if we need to address it as a whole group thing, we'll do that at training midweek and, and discuss it in more depth. Um, some conversations and sore things. And I think it depends on the athlete, um, how mature they are and, and whether you can have that conversation in game or not. But I, I think that's, that comes with a little bit of experience and knowing and um, knowing your your playing group and and how they how they kind of individually process things as well. But um, in general, we try and leave it for for after the game and or a training if possible. All right, fantastic. We're going to stick with two more things, Andrew. We're going to take a question from our good friend Bill Sandillo because he loves this topic, um, and then we're going to close it off with one more thing. Uh, and, you know, this is interesting because I know you talked a little bit about it, but maybe a little bit more in depth will go. Um, he's talking about development. He said, uh, does that league offer, does the Australian league offer certification for coaches? Which, yes, we talked about that. And it's something that's important to you, uh, knowing there are metrics to know and understand how it can help the league excel. Um, again, back to the coaching metrics and certification. 
Yeah, so yeah, we're trying to roll out a little bit with the USA Baseball um, coaching certification. Um, so we're doing a little bit more of that just to make it more accessible and more uh, formal across across the countryside. Um, we are in the process of trying to do a little bit more on the high performance stage as far as meeting together and going through in more depth um, things as far as coaching accreditation. And then hopefully within each state, um, getting more information um, together, getting more uh, coaches together in groups to go through the more the practical side of thing. Um, I think that's one thing is really important is it's all well and good to go through stuff online, um, but putting into a more practical environment um, is where you get a lot of the value from. Um, so I think that's where we're heading. Uh, we've got a, still a fair bit of, of work to do. Um, obviously, lucky we are a bit of a smaller country, so we don't have the mass number of people trying to do it. So we can be a little bit more isolated in our each of our cities and, you know, we can have access to different sort of coaches and things like that. So um, one thing I'm, I'm doing next week is is for one of the one of the local clubs here in their surrounding community, uh, we're doing a coaching workshop with myself and a couple of, a couple of other um, coaches on different topics and, and getting a group together and, and kind of going through some different aspects of coaching and then opening it up for some question and answers. So trying to get a little bit more into the grassroots in each of our states um, and especially the, you know, the junior club and charter type level coaching is I think where we really need to hit um, and get those coaches upskilled a bit more. Excellent. And my apologies to Bill. Um, we got a lot of people on Facebook and I didn't notice. Bill did ask that question early on. So it was before you even addressed the certification. We talked about that. Hey, listen, finally, Andrew, this has been great. Um, you know, a lot, I know a lot of Australian coaches, pretty modest. Um, I, I, again, I think that it, Australia has one of the better coaching certification programs, um, has one of the better programs in general when it comes to developing baseball. Of course, improvements always got to be there. Um, but it there, mention something, there has to be something that you guys do differently. And if there's not, that's okay. But there's got to be something you guys do differently that other countries are not doing, even in the U.S., that you feel maybe is unique. Uh, you guys are proud of it, something different that you do to help develop players. So, anything we missed that you know we you wanted to talk about, basically. Yeah, I think the biggest success we've had um, being a small country is our unity with our high performance programs aligning with our ABL level um, teams. And we didn't always have the ABL, it might have been your Claxman Shield team or your highest level anyway. We have, you know, and I know in Perth especially, we've been able to keep core coaches together. Um, and be consistent with our coaching and then helping those around us. So continually just adding a, a coach or two every couple of years and pushing them back into the system. But, you know, um, I think one thing we really do is invest in our players. Um, you know, we love our kids that have come through and do really well, you know. Um, I was fortunate enough to coach Liam Hendricks in, in state teams when he was younger and, and Warwick Sorpold and, you know, those guys come back and they come down to the heat and say good day and, and it's, a, it's a community, it's a family over here. I think maybe that's probably one of the biggest things. We, you know, I know personally I treat it as a family and, 
and we really love um, seeing our players go on to bigger and better things and try and represent their country and, you know, and, and following them in pro ball um, and, and trying to keep up their communication and wish, wish them all the best. And hopefully when they come back home, they, they come back to the field and they say day and, and speak to the next couple of kids who, who yep. think it's awesome and they, and they want to keep playing the game. I, I think that's huge. Um, so, yeah, probably, you know, we're, we're a big family over here, um, you know. So Fantastic. One, one different thing. Yeah, I love it. And I love that you brought Liam Hendricks up. Being in Chicago, I see him a lot on television. And uh, boy, I listened to his interview. He's a really calm, nice person. Then he gets on the mound, he's going to rip your head off. Um, he's <laughs> intense. Uh, and you love to see that, right? There's that action. I mean, he's, he's emotional and, um, you know, he wants to do well. So it's great to have him in Chicago. Hey, listen, Andrew, um, we're going to get you to sleep because I know you got more baseball tomorrow. <laughs> I appreciate it for being on the show up, down under, man. No, I appreciate you having me. And uh, how small a world, obviously, I started following your podcast a few years ago and then we are uh, and through Twitter and then suddenly I bump into you in, in Panama at the Under-15 World Cup and and here we go now. We're, uh, we're doing a podcast together. So I think it's awesome. So thanks for having me and uh, I look forward to continuing to follow it. Fantastic. Thank you, Andrew. Hey, special thanks to Andrew Kyle, Perth manager, also 18U national team coach with Team Australia. Again, folks, as I told you, you can follow Team Australia, follow anything the Australian Baseball uh, Association does. Uh, they are one of the best in the world, and you know, no doubt about it, hands down. There's a lot of great countries out there, but Australia is definitely at the top. Uh, special thanks to Brian Crocker, producer with the Lineup Media Group, and of course, the best thank you to everybody in the U.S. and around the world for joining us on Facebook, YouTube, uh, our audio, BaseballOutsideTheBox.com. I'm your host, Pete Caliendo. Remember, stay healthy, be safe. God bless you, and we'll see you out on the baseball field. This has been Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Listen online at BaseballOutsideTheBox.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Get all of our podcasts now at lineupmedia.fm.